I, I just love how he took responsibility for that. He took responsibility for his area, his nation. I have failed my nation because there's no move of God here. And, uh, you know, I mean, I know there's all nuance that with that, et cetera. And, um, but that, that sense of realizing he was born into a particular area at a particular time in history for a particular purpose and being driven, being gripped by that was, was really compelling. We have a 50 mile radius around our house of prayer. <clears throat> and so I love praying around the world. I love praying for Iran, I love praying for Israel. It's important to pray for, for other nations of Israel in particular. I love praying for our need leaders, but most of the time I want to be gripped with that 50 mile radius. Million, millions of people that are in that 50 mile radius around this house of prayer and having the same kind of zeal that Evan Robbins had, Roberts has. Maybe there's somebody named Evan Robbins who really needs to that prayer movement. Um, anyway, it was really good. Um, we're in the ORU garb, it didn't help in any way. We, we cheered for the mark. Uh, we watched a tape delay broadcast, so I had to be on radio silence for the last two hours because uh, we had a dive meet and the game started before the dive meet was really over. So anyway, we're, uh, they lost by two in case you're wondering. But they gave quite a run. Um, so uh, if you have notes, I mean, if you need notes, there's some on the table. If you um, need them sent to you, I may have to send them later. There's a PDF available uh, uh, for just the notes from tonight. But we're, we're in a, we've done a phase shift in Daniel. Uh, the first six chapters of Daniel are um, our history. And we've been going, looking backwards in history, looking at Daniel's stories, and stories about the kingdom, et cetera. And uh, from now going forward, um, Daniel's perspective, we're talking about prophetic movements, prophetic words, and we start with a wild one. And, and we're in the section, Daniel 7, chapter 7 through 12. We're going to be just part of Daniel 7 tonight, but we're in this section that is the reason why I think the Lord wants us to go through this, because um, I, I said before, Daniel is fundamental to understanding the end times, end time movements. He's fundamental to understanding Revelation. There are so many parallels. We're going to talk about a few to the right here and right now. Between Daniel and Revelation and between uh, what Daniel saw 2,500 years ago and what is going to happen when the, when the Lord returns. And, uh, and so we're, we're in, a, uh, we're in a, a part where hidden things are uncovered. That's what um, uh, apocalyptic writing is. It's the unveiling. It's the revealing. And so Daniel has this dream that we're going to talk about that, that wasn't unveiling. Um, uh, Daniel, uh, we said before, but just to talk about it, he, he, the first six chapters have established him as a great, great man. Integris, uh, which by the way is not a word, but I use it all the time. I used, I used to write it uh, at work, and I would use it at work, and, and uh, come up with a spell check. Integris is not a word. But it is a word. It, it should be a word. <laughs> it means full of integrity. It means somebody who is what they say they are, who, uh, you know, somebody who Jesus described in Daniel that way. Behold, a man who is, in whom there is no guile. Um, a natural leader, so, so competent that he rises to the top levels of government in two kingdoms, 
in the Babylonian kingdom and in the Persian kingdom, the top, very top level, I mean, he's number, number two or three in, uh, under Nebuchadnezzar, under Belshazzar in Babylon, number two or three under uh, the Persian kings. Um, he has what the Bible describes it as an excellent spirit. Um, and so, um, nevertheless, when Jesus talks about Daniel, he says uh, that, uh, pay attention to what Daniel, the prophet, said. Uh, Jesus calls Daniel the prophet, and now we're going to find out why. So, we're going to launch right in. Uh, in the first year, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, so by the way, right away we know we, we just jumped back a king, right? We, <laughs> last, last week got Belshazzar, there was a handwriting on the wall, and he was about to lose his kingdom to the Persians, to uh, uh, Cyrus coming through uh, the gate. Um, and now we're, uh, and in fact, he has served under the Persian king, was thrown to the lions as eight, at age 85 or 90 in chapter 6. Now we are in chapter 7, and we're jumping back in time to the dream that Dan, Daniel had, I call him Dan, um, that Daniel had when uh, he was under the King Belshazzar. So in the first year, King Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed, and he wrote the dream down, and he related the following summary of it. So um, this happened, so it gives us a time frame, it happens at the time of Belshazzar. Um, Daniel was taken as a young man to, to Babylon, um, and now uh, we are some 50 years, 50 years, five zero years, after Daniel has come has company taken to Babylon. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is off the scene. King Belshazzar is on the scene, and he's co-reigning, as we talked about in the past, with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his father. Nebuchadnezzar is not really in the kingdom very much. Belshazzar is his son, uh, so he's kind of running the kingdom. Verse 2, Daniel said, I, I was looking in my vision, and then I behold the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and the four great beasts Four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. So he has this dream, and he has these pictures going on in his head in the middle of the night, and he writes down the dream, and it says, I wrote down the summary of it, and some of your versions say, I wrote down the main facts, or I wrote down, you know, highlights of the dream. Um, and this, this is going to be a big theme for us, because uh, we're going to get into a lot of detail here in, in the, this book, in, in chapter 7. Chapter 8, um, uh, chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 12. Um, uh, and it's important not to get bogged down in the detail. And Daniel tells us a key thing about, about dreams, which you probably already know if you're, if you're recording some of your dreams. You know, there's so many details and there's so many nuances and smells, etc. And if you wake up from a dream and you write down every detail, or if you want someone to interpret the dream and you relate to them every detail, you'll, you'll find them going to sleep very soon on you. Um, what Daniel says is get the gist, get the main fact, the main gist of it. Um, and so really, we really only need a summary of what's going on. And so if you want a summary, um, here's the summary of chapter seven. Four kingdoms rise up, four of them, um, in some way or fashion until Jesus returns. That's that's the summary. Now Daniel saw a whole lot more of the dream of his summary we're going to see is quite a, it's quite a bit detailed. But, um, but even when Daniel gets, even Daniel gets confused about his dream after the interpretation, there's an angel in his vision, and he talks to the angel and says, in verse uh, 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 17 and 18, he says, what does this dream mean? And the angel tells Daniel, 
Um, in verse 17, well, actually, I'll read it. I approached one of those who were standing by, meaning an, an angelic figure, and I began asking him the exact meaning of all this, meaning the dream that we haven't talked about yet. But I'm just talking about, the, I'm trying to talk about this, uh, the fact that he summarized the main points. So Daniel, after all the details of the dream, he asked the angel, what does all this mean? And, the dream, and so the angel told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in numbers, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Bam. That's, that's the interpretation. You ask the angel, what does all these say? I saw four beasts. They were four different kinds. Some had one out of ten horns. One little one was rising up. But then there was a lion, there was a bear, there was a leopard. One of them had four wings, there was two wings, etc. And he goes, what does all this mean? The angel goes, look, there's going to be four kingdoms that basically capture all human history right up until the time that the Lord returns. And the uh, one who receives the saints of the highest one, the saints, meaning the holy ones, the set of our ones, of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess it forever, for all ages to come. Daniel, that's that's it, right there. That, I mean, talk about a talk about a distilled summary <laughs> of all of human history. He just basically covered at least twenty five hundred years. That, that angel did. Now Daniel's not satisfied, and we'll, we'll we'll get into this next week. About uh, Daniel says, yeah, yeah, but you know, I would like a little bit more detail. And so the angel uh, gives more detail, which is also important because there's a principle here too. Daniel asks for more detail, and the angel gives it to him. The angel initially answers this question. I don't understand what's going on. The angel says, here's what, here's what it is. Four kings, the saints are going to prevail. That's the bottom line. Daniel goes, I want, I want to know more. I hunger for more. And the Lord answers that hunger. The angel gives him more detail. Again, we're going to talk about this next week. But the question is, um, how hungry are you? And notice how gracious the Lord is to both answer the initial question and to give the, the further detail. Anyway, um, I forget what verse we read. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I saw four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming from the sea, different from one another. So, um, he sees these four wings, and they're the wings coming up from four compass directions, stirring up the great sea. Um, most conservative interpreters um, think that the great sea is the Mediterranean Sea, and I think that's a pretty good, good call. Um, it's not just because it's the biggest body of water that they knew, although, although it was. In their, in their region, it was the biggest body of water around. Uh, it's not just because the scriptures talk about the Great Sea as the Great Sea. It's named in Joshua. Uh, it's named um, uh, in Numbers uh, as the Great Sea of the Mediterranean is. Um, but really, it's probably because the, the, the dream that Jim Daniel had is a worldwide vision for their world. It basically covers all the lands that are surrounding the Mediterranean, the Great Sea. I mean, there, there's North Africa, there's Turkey, you know, where basically Asia Minor, <laughs> there's Europe, there's Syria, there's uh, Israel, there's all these nations surrounding the Great Sea, and so that's the center of attention. So most likely when they say Great Sea, they mean that sea, and he sees, Daniel sees the sea tossing and turning, 
because winds are blowing on it from all directions. It's not just a consistent one direction of wind. It's all directions are, turn, turn, are, are filling the sea with chaos. Um, most of the time in the Bible, the sea represents uh, nations or kingdoms of the world. Mankind is, is a typical inter interpretation of the sea. Um, and so for him to see the tossing of this wild sea means that it was filled with chaos. And Isaiah 57 is a key verse that way. Uh, that 57 verse 20, chapter 57 verse 20, where it says, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. <clears throat> so now he's going to talk about the four beasts. Uh, the first beast was like a lion that had wings like an eagle, and I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a human mind was also given to it. Some of the versions say a human heart was given to it. Uh, and behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to, they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. And after this I kept looking, and behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird, and the, the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this, I kept looking at the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had iron, large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were there before, and it had ten horns. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots, and before it, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and the mouth and a mouth uttering great boasts. So that's that's the dream um, and the vision that he had. Uh, he's in his Daniel's in his late seventies by this point, but it's very similar to the dream that he uh, had just a couple of chapters ago for us, but fifty years prior for Daniel. Um, the, that amount of time has gone by. That's the dream. Remember that he interpreted. King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he both told Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was and he gave the interpretation. Um, and, and so um, Daniel, on that, at that point, when he's interpreting the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he is a third party, so to speak, brought in to basically preserve the wise men from in Babylon from getting killed by Nebuchadnezzar, who was proclaimed, if you do not tell me what I dreamed and what the interpretation is, I'm wiping all the wise men out. So Daniel interprets that dream. Now he has a dream very similar. Um, and it doesn't say how Daniel responds to the dream. It doesn't really go into um, his emotion at that time, except for later in this dream. Um, but, you know, I wonder um, uh, how he responded to the idea that these dreams, that these things are nations. Um, you know, Daniel might be asking, at this point, he's, he's 60 to 70 years old, what about the 70 years, God? What, what about uh, the promise that you gave to David to be on the throne forever? Uh, you know, if this is the course of human history, right up until the Lord returns, how does that all work out? Um, but uh, God gives a very similar message here that he, that he does to Daniel. In chapter 2, it was of a statue, right? It was a man. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, iron mixed with clay, that that comprised a picture of all the human history running up right after Jesus coming. In this case, it's a terrible sea with beasts coming out of it, and um, 
I'm not smart enough to figure this out, but commentators have said they look at, at the one image, which is basically man's view of, of, of history, which is a glorious statue, different materials, increasingly inferior materials as you move down through the statue. But from God's perspective, it's wildness. It's wild beasts devouring one another throughout human history, coming from a wild storm tossed sea. Not peaceful at all. It's two different perspectives of the dream, which, which I, I, I think might be true. Um, so the first beast, um, the first one is like a lion that had an eagle's wings, and I watched until its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Uh, the lion, uh, oftentimes in Jeremiah 14, and Jeremiah 50, and Jeremiah 49, and the eagle in Jeremiah, and Lamentations, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, by the way, all those guys, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Ezekiel, um, uh, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations as well, uh, were co- what do you call it? They were around the same time as Daniel. Not coincident, but anyway, they were around the same time, slightly earlier. What is it? Contemporary. Contemporary, thank you. Yeah, we're contemporary with Daniel. Slightly earlier than Daniel. Daniel was a good deal younger than them, but, but, the, but they are talking about the same image. Most of the time, those images have to do with Babylon. And so most people, most commentators, think that this first image of a lion is like Babylon. And, um, and I think they're right. Because, check out what happens. This lion, it, it's, he is terrifying. It was the most terrifying beast that they had experience with. But he's got wings. Now, <laughs> as one commentator says, what's more terrifying than a lion? A flying lion. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's more terrifying. And, and so, it's, you know, it's a fast lion. It moves very fast. Um, and yet, its wings are plucked off. It's, it's actually uh, reduced. Uh, and stature, and a human heart is given to it, and it's made to stand on two feet like a man. Isn't that interesting in terms of what we know happened from the Bible to King Nebuchadnezzar when he was humbled, when he uh, was humbled for seven years, ate grass like an ox? And it, it says finally in, the, in, the, in chapter four, when we, when we got into it, my, my senses returned to me, my mind was given back to me. He was thinking he, that he was an animal for during those times. And so this seems to have a very strong parallel to the to ba to Babylonian kingdom um, with Nebuchadnezzar's experience in Daniel, Daniel 4. Um, the second beast comes, a bear, and it's raised up on one side. It has three ribs in, in its mouth, three ribs in between its teeth, and it says, Arise, devour much flesh. And so a bear, this is a more slowly moving animal, um, very fearsome still, but, but slower, um, but steady military progress, um, and uh, larger and more cumbersome than the lion. It had great strength, and it's raised up on one side. Many uh, people think, well, this, this speaks to the silver chest of, of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, image of, of the statue, that is, the Medo-Persian Empire, and especially raised up on one side, the Persians were the more dominant of those two empires. And so that, they think that, that that's why the, the one side was raised up. Is that, that indicates mostly Persia um, when you talk about the bear. And the three ribs in its mouth, those uh, are the three kingdoms that, Persian, that uh, per the Persian generals wiped out in quick su succession. Possibly, um, best guess, Lydia in 546 BC, Babylon in 539, and then Egypt in 520. 
1950s. Um, and, and they are mandated to arise and conquer more nations. By the way, that, that's, hopefully that doesn't trouble you, but God is behind these moves of history where nations are devouring other nations and where, where it's happening. That, that, that idea, that's what we learned from Habakkuk, that, that God raised up Babylon to actually attack uh, Judea as, as a consequence of their sin, etc. So, Babylon, Lion, Bear, Persia. Um, the third beast, I looked and there was another, like a leopard, and he had on its back four wings, on, like a bird, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Um, this animal is like a leopard, fast, sleek, agile, cunning, um, known for its quickness. He has four wings like a bird, not like an eagle, but, but like a bird. So he's, he's uh, very fast in terms of military conquest. Um, he has four heads, very significant here, because if it follows the pattern of the uh, statue that Nebuchadnezzar had, the bronze middle, that, mean, that means that this, this beast probably relates to Greece. And the four heads is very interesting because Antiochus, I mean, uh, uh, Alexander the Great um, was, was a very swift conquering king. Uh, you, you study your, if you read, uh, what do you call it, AP Euro, <laughs> Advanced Placement in European History, uh, very fast, so fast that he had done most of his empire really by the age of, uh, by his 30s, he died at age 32. When he died, he left behind those four heads. Those four uh, leaders of, of the Grecian Empire ran the, ran the Grecian realm while he was there, but they left behind a culture. That's part of the reason why it says dominion was given to it. They, they had a culture that they left behind that influenced that entire region. It's one of the big reasons why our, our language is so influenced by Greek and by, by uh, Romance language, by Latin. Um, uh, Helen, that's the Hellenization period. By the way, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it's hugely significant that, they, that that Grecian kingdom came right before the Roman Empire and, and Hellenized a huge area just in time for, the, for the Jesus to arrive and for the message to be able to go out in a uniform language, uh, which was not the case before. And so the gospel could spread really quickly because most of that area was already in a Grecian and then a Roman culture. So that's, that's this third beast um, referring to the Greek Empire. Okay, those are the three beasts. Um, the fourth one is the one that uh, we need some time here. Behold, verse 7, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, that had huge iron teeth and it was devouring, breaking in pieces, and, and if it left any residue behind, it stamped it stomped on it with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. This image is meant to cause us to uh, think of Nebuchadnezzar's statue, and in particular the iron legs and the iron toes mixed with clay, right? Uh, so the best understanding of this is that this probably relates to the Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire writ large, meaning this is the last kingdom uh, that, that Daniel sees. And so it's, it's a kingdom that doesn't end with, with Western Rome falling down, but it ends with Rome uh, going clear up to and including the, the uh, eastern side, Constantinople and Constantine, et cetera, up into the 1400s. Um, it's an ahead of time picture of the end time empire. And at this I've got to pause and say, uh, by the way, um, 
most of these notes from here on out are from Mike Bickle. Uh, I'm so happy to be in the sections where Bickle has actually preached on these things before, because I can look at his notes and, and uh, try and understand them, and he is a man who has given his life to understanding end-time things. He's, he's, uh, he's, I would say, uh, likely to be right, not all the time right. Uh, everything that he says, everything that I say, we need to check against the Bible and make sure that it's, it squares up. But he uh, is a reliable source, and he also Um, so, um, this beast is dread, it, it, it's not described, he's not described as a, as a this or a that, he just says it's dreadful, it's terrible, it's strong, um, it's got huge iron teeth, which, which again is a clue that we're talking about known here. Able, it appears to be unstoppable, it devours everything in its path, um, and it's got these uh, overwhelming destructive powers, and, and once a nation is defeated, it continues to, spin, to trample. It, it, it's just a horrible, horrible uh, uh, nation, uh, a beast coming up, and it continues uh, and showing no mercy. And it has these ten horns, and the ten horns of these ten kings will arise from this kingdom. And, and that's really significant, uh, because uh, in Revelation um, 12, Revelation 13 and Revelation 17, we see these 10 kings. It's repeated again. It got repeated in Daniel 2 when, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar's statue, uh, we recall that, that, that the statue ended with Daniel seeing 10 toes, partly mixed with clay, partly mixed with iron at the end. And so it, it's kind of a very similar picture of what, what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. Um, uh, but students of end time history are looking for, based on this verse, based on this section in Daniel, based on Revelation 12, 13, 17, are looking for a 10 nation coalition to arise. That, in terms of, of understanding how do we know where we're at in terms of the whole time frame, the whole chronology, coming close to the time of the return of Jesus, how do we know where we're at? Well, one of the big signs is we're looking for this 10 nation coalition to arise. I and mean, I remember when the European Union started, and there were 10 nations, and they were thinking, oh, oh, there it is. And then, of course, right now it's more like 29 or so. So, uh, but there will be different um, aspects of that of that 10-nation coalition rising up. Um, and in fact, in Revelation 17, uh, 12, it says, the 10 horns which you saw, this is John, uh, the angel talking to John, they are 10 kings, John. They receive an authority for an hour as kings of the beast um, with the Antichrist. And they will give their power and authority to the beast. Um, they have one purpose, which is to give their kingdom to the beast who will rise at that time. So, so iron teeth, devouring, no mercy, swiftly, strong, uh, ten horns this, this dreadful beast has. And it's different. Um, it, the scriptures uh, surprisingly say this four times. This is a different beast. It's different. It's unique. You haven't seen anything like this before. Um, and so Daniel says in verse 8, I was considering the horns. And as I was gazing at the horns, I saw another horn, a little one, coming up among them, uh, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. 
and there, in this horn, uh, there were eyes like the eyes of a man in this little horn, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Um, so, that's verse 8. While he's gazing at the ten horns, he sees this little horn, and it starts out little. This horn starts out little. Uh, probably, uh, so in other words, if horns are kings, this little horn is a man who starts off insignificant, relatively insignificant. Not, not a, not a, not a, I mean, perhaps maybe he's a regional ruler. Maybe he's a nobody. But he starts off among these, these ten kings as a, as a little uh, ruler. Um, but he, um, he rises up. And the way he does it is, uh, there are three kings who are killed by this little horn. That's the three horns plucked out. So, so he says, you know, they, they were, there's a violent overthrow led by the little horns. And that's how this little horn will seize control of this 10-nation coalition. In other words, um, when these, uh, when, when we see, um, and some, I mean, frankly, some commentators say 10 is not necessarily a, a hard and fast number, maybe just a number of nations. Bickle says 10. I'm looking for 10. When we see a <laughs> so when we see a ten-nation coalition rise up, mm -hmm. and three of those kings, three kings of those nations killed, that's a huge sign right there that you have just identified the Antichrist. So that you have come to that that point. There, there are certain, there are so many details in end time things that I think you can wrap your your head around uh, uh, around the light pole and get crazy looking at. Things, but there are certain key signs of the times that are worth paying attention to, and this is one of them, which is that it's kind of be irrefutable that there are three kings, 30% of the, of the kings in this coalition that are assassinated by this little horn. Same thing with, you know, one of my big ones is when, when peace with Israel breaks out and there's a charismatic leader behind that peace, well then, then I know that we are very close to that three and a half year tribulation very, very close to meeting the Lord again. So, I, so this this is another one of those important signs of the times. This little horn, it comes up among them. It's, it, it comes up uh, as a peer. It will arise among men. It will seize control. It has eyes like a man, uh, meaning it speaks of its, its intelligence. It, it's, it's, this, this horn is, it's got wisdom, and it's got a mouth that is very well spoken, but it's very pompous. Meaning it's boastful words. In fact, um, uh, elsewhere it says that this it speaks blasphemous words. So, it's, so it will be it will be a pompous, boastful, but also very um, compelling speaker, good with words. Um, Bickle, this is from Bickle. Uh, he says, and, and I mean, many of you are probably already thinking this. When you think about a, a small man who rises to power quickly and dominates and becomes a threat to the whole world. Immediately these days, we're not in 1920. We we wouldn't even have a grid for that. In fact, many people thought that this was complete fiction. But in 1930, we have Hitler, and and Hitler is uh, is probably the, the closest uh, recent example of a leader that started off as a little horn and uh, and became a big major world leader. Uh, again, from Bickel, in 1928, Hitler runs for president of Germany. He receives two percent of the vote. But five years later, 1933, he becomes chancellor of Germany. His rise to power comes very suddenly and surprises many. And yet, he was a type of Antichrist, but he was not the Antichrist. 
which means that when the Antichrist comes, and he will be different, 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 that it will be worse than Hitler. Uh, and so Hitler was a good type. In other words, he's a, a good example, a, a good bad example. But um, but uh, the Antichrist is going to be far worse, far more dominant, far more uh, uh, irresistible. Again, this is from this is from Bickle, so I'm just going to uh, share this because I think it's I think it's useful. This fourth beast has, as you look through human history, three major phases. As Daniel's looking at it, <coughs> Daniel doesn't know this yet, but as we look back, we see three major phases. The first is the initial expression of the kingdom. In other words, the Roman kingdom is the first expression of that beast. The ancient empire that goes from 146 BC to 1453 BC. Um, it's also called the Byzantine Empire. It lasts for a thousand years after the fall of the western side. Um, Eastern division, um, the eastern side uh, is run by Diocletian or by Constantine. Constantine, remember, is the one who, who actually made Christianity legal um, and, uh, and later uh, it became the religion of the, of the realm. Um, he moved the capital from Constantine did from Rome to Byzantium, uh, later known as Constantinople. Now it's called Istanbul. Um, and, uh, and, and, and for those, for that period of time, all the way up to 1400 um, uh, AD, it was the most powerful economic, cultural, and military force in Europe. Um, it falls to the Ottoman Empire uh, in 1453, dominated, the Ottoman Empire was dominated by Islamic rule uh, and old culture, and it sweeps through the Middle East and through Europe. Uh, but, but the spirit of Rome lives in those governments, uh, meaning the spirit of fierce uh, suppression, fierce uh, determination. Um, and and uh, so that, that, becomes, um, that becomes the first expression, we call it the first phase. The next phase is this 10-nation coalition that we've been talking about. This end-time empire that will rise and initially be under King King. It will cover a huge geographic area um, from uh, both, both the eastern and western side of classics uh, of, of ancient Roman territory. Um, and they will arise from that kingdom. Um, uh, they will receive uh, authority, uh, like Revelation 17 says. Um, and they will have geographic territory they'll have ethnic continuity, both. Um, and so, uh, for instance, um, it will include the Middle East, it will include Russia, it will include um, uh, mostly Islamic countries. And in fact, what Bibble says is it's going to be very surprising to uh, not have an Islamic ruler uh, coming against Israel. That's, that's Bibble, I think. I think there's reason to pay attention to that. That's the second phase. So first phase is ancient Rome as an expression for 1400 BC. Um, second phase is the Ten Nation Confederation, Ten Nation Coalition. <clears throat> and the third phase is the dictatorship of this little horn. Ten Nation Coalition becomes uh, taken over by this little horn that rises up um, uh, and takes it over. He leads this violent overthrow and he has, uh, he has three of those kings uh, killed. 
So that's that's the fourth beast. Um, um, we're going to stop and come out and join up with, with chapter with verse nine now, but uh, I, I don't want to spend too long on that. But but um, let me just say we're going to be going through several dreams and visions that that, uh, that Daniel has, both to understand Daniel himself, but also to understand what John saw what what our end times perspective is to start to form our end time perspective based on the word of God, not based on um, any other uh, uh, speaker necessarily. We want to be able to validate things against the Bible. Um, but um, what I'm do, hoping to do with Daniel uh, for, for y'all and for myself is to add some, some mental hooks. I don't have to symbolize hooks, but mental things where we, uh, as we encountered a verse that maybe was confusing, even last week, all of a sudden we had to say, oh, I think I, I, think I get that, that little horn now. I, I started to pay attention to that as an expression of this antichrist that might be talking about in Revelation. And so as we start to get familiar with some of the vocabulary, using different words and trying to get history, we're trying to build those mental, mental hooks and just try and see how scripture hopefully affirms scripture. Um, 2,500 years ago, a man had a dream. This man had a dream. And, and the man was of such high integrity, and he's highlighted as such a man of honor, that Ezekiel said, you know, that God told me, Ezekiel says, God told me that, uh, that there's no way to change God's edict. And even if Noah and Job were to stand before me, and even if Daniel, Ezekiel, God mentions three names to Ezekiel. So even if those three were to come and intercede, I would not change my mind. And, and so that, that's, a, that's a, a huge uh, affirmation of the integrity of those three people, Job, Noah, and Daniel. No, 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 no error found in any of those three, including Daniel, at least as far as the scripture report. Of course, they're all born with the sin nature, etc. But, but, but God says of, of all of human humanity, all of humanity, those three personalities, you would think would have influence in me, and yet in this particular case, we're not going to. All that to say, Daniel is a highly, highly esteemed uh, uh, man in heaven. Those aren't my words, by the way. Those are the angel words. When we come to Daniel and say, oh, oh, Daniel, highly esteemed. We're going to see that later in, in uh, chapter 11. Um, Daniel's beasts, there are successive empires, Babylon, Persians, Greeks, and Greeks and Macedonians, and then Rome. Um, uh, uh, and so the lion, the bear, the leopard, and that nameless beast, they represent distinct phases of history. And they're all united in one beast uh, in, in Revelation chapter 13. When we get to Revelation chapter 13, So 
And you start to see this consistency of scripture, of scripture between Daniel and what we see in Revelation. But what does it mean to Daniel when he had this vision? Dan- Daniel himself. I mean, Daniel is the one who laid on his bed and had this dream. What does it mean to him? I mean, he, he was shocked. It says later in, in chapter 7, he was confused. He, he was sickened and nauseated. I mean, the color, he said, the color drained from my face. Mostly as what he saw in this fourth beast. Um, maybe he was, uh, really, maybe he was thinking, you know, he's having this dream under King Belshazzar in the Babylon kingdom, the one that he was taken in exile to. Maybe he's thinking, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. He was thinking that right up until the time when the handwriting was on the wall on that night when the king, uh, the king of Babylon, fell to Persia. At that point, you can bet that he's thinking, "Oh my goodness." This is that. Here comes the second beast. So, so that was that was Daniel's reaction. Um, what does it mean for us today? Um, we're on that same raging sea. We're, we we are we are in the midst of the, of the confusion of nations. Um, if the Lord delays, we'll we'll be we'll be here with Him. Um, it helps us to understand, hopefully, Revelation, the Book of Revelation, chapters 13 and 17 in particular. Um, it helps to identify certain signs of the times, like we talked about even tonight. Um, not so we can join in the pessimism or, or in the, in you know, in, in, in sort of being secretly glad at the, at the demise of society, etc. Not at all. Not so we can store up food or weapons. You know, not not for that. But we want to recognize that the generation alive during this, the time of the Lord's return, during the time these things comes, is a special generation and handpicked by the Lord to be able to that time and live faithfully before him as he comes. Um, we will talk about this more, but just know that, that as things go, it really helps me at least to remember the wheat and the tares, they grow together. The, the tares are the, are the fake wheat, the things that's designed to confuse the harvester, and the wheat uh, looks like tares, they both look very similar when they're early in their stages, but as they grow and mature, you're able to distinguish them apart. In the initial phases, they grow together. Increase in evil, increase in glory. They both go together. So we can expect, therefore, that, that people in general, and the Holy Spirit's power in individuals in particular, and the Holy Spirit's power in individual churches, is going to rise up to be very similar to the rise of evil that we expect. And so it will be a time when the church is purified, when all of Israel is saved. It's going to be a time when we, people who are alive on the earth happen to have that uh, impact over what's going on in the world. Um, the Holy Spirit is going to be more active than ever before. So what it does for us, hopefully, is gives us hope. Um, we're going to be living in the Daniel 7.14 reality. Um, Daniel 7.14 says, you know, this is very hard not to go into this section, but, but Daniel, in, 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 in the same dream, he has a dream where he sees the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, God, and Jesus' favorite title for himself, um, approaching the Ancient of Days, God the Father. Um, and it says in verse 14, and, and to him, to this this Son of Man that's, that Daniel sees 2,500 years ago, to him, this Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not 
be destroyed. So Jesus said, um, he said, my friends, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that, there's no more they can do. But I will warn you who you should be afraid of. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The message says it like this. I love the way it says. Jesus saying, I'm speaking to you as dear friends. Don't be bluffed into silence or insincerity by the threats of religious bullies. True, they can kill you, but then what can they do? There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God, who holds your entire life, body and soul, in his hands. Jesus' is message to us over and over and over again is that this life is not the be-all, end-all. Um, that's why the angel was not when, uh, after Daniel asks him to explain the meaning of the dream, he says in the second chapter, look, Daniel, there are four great beasts. There are actually four kings, or there are actually four kings that arise from the earth, but, but the set-apart ones who belong to the Most High God will receive the kingdom and possess it forever for ages and ages. That's the bottom line. So death is not to be that big a deal. Abandoning Jesus, walking away from God because you're or offended, that's a very big deal. So, maybe we'll continue. Let's play a little bit of blowout. I don't know if you want to do it. Also, if you have questions, we can chat about that up here. Um, so, Jesus, we love you. Your leadership is amazing. And your overall commitment to delivering to your father a purified bride, bringing Israel into the kingdom, Lord, that commitment is unwavering. Lord, give us strength to be able to endure the details that we run against. Give us perspective, Lord. Pray that your, your Holy Spirit would fill us. Give us energy and resistance. I bind the enemy from any fearful thoughts. I bind the enemy from any accusations against us. Lord, you have
Oceans, sea. 